Hey everybody, welcome. Thanks for watching this today. Um, on Sunday, we kind of truncated the message, and so this is the fuller expression of, of that message today. So if you've got a Bible, we uh, continue in our study of Colossians. So go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we'll get there uh, in just a minute. Uh, last week I had a birthday. Uh, thank you. Appreciate your cards and your drive-by parade and uh, your generosity. I wanted to share with you my favorite birthday card, and it's right here. It says, Happy Birthday. And then down at the bottom it says, Jesus loves the little children. And it's got Jesus with all the little folks there. And then you open it up and it says, But don't worry. I'm pretty sure he also loves super old people. <laughs> so I love that. Um, do you know what people call you when they want to call you old, but they want to be polite about it? Um, maybe they call you experienced or wise, or another word they might use is mature. Hey, you're not old, you're mature. And uh, I bring that up because in the passage that we're going to look at today, uh, that's one of the key words that the Apostle Paul gives to these believers in Colossae, that, that they need to be maturing. And we all know that it's possible to grow old, uh, but not grow up. To grow old, but to not grow mature. And while the Bible really commends, and you see Jesus with those children around him, and he commends childlike faith, the Bible also instructs us to grow up in our faith, to not remain childish, to have a, a childlike faith, but to grow up also into maturity. And so we're going to look uh, a little bit at what that looks like, what that means uh, today as we move forward here in Colossians chapter 1. So I'm going to begin uh, our reading today in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. And then we'll read all the way through chapter 2, uh, verse 3. Okay, so it's kind of long, but uh, beginning in verse 21 of chapter 1, Paul writes this. He says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
This is the word of the Lord. So that's a kind of a long passage here, but I want to break it up uh, kind of under two headings today. So uh, the way I'm going to break it up is, first of all, we see Paul's desire for the church. And then secondly, we'll look at Paul's ministry to the church. Okay, Paul's desire for the church and Paul's ministry uh, to the church. So first of all, Paul's desire for the church. Uh, The first thing we see, as I've already mentioned, is that Paul wants these believers to grow mature. And you see that. That, uh, in verse 28, it says, again, let me read him. We proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, did you see the repetition there of that word everyone? And Paul is emphasizing this because there's been some false teachers that have come around Colossae and they say not everybody has this full spiritual knowledge. And what Paul is implicitly saying here is that no, there's not some secret higher spiritual opportunity for a select group of people, but everyone is to grow mature. How? By hearing the word of God, by Jesus being proclaimed and and warning and teaching. But the point is that everyone could grow up into maturity, not just grow old in the faith, but grow up in the faith, become mature. And I think we get some indication of what maturity looks like, what what Paul has in mind when he talks about maturity. If you look uh, back here with me at verse 23. Verse 23 uh, says, uh, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. Now, verse, verse 23, I want to I start by talking about this word if in verse 23. Uh, in the Greek language, there's different kinds of conditional clauses. And this is what scholars call a first class condition. And what Paul does here with this first class condition is he's he's saying something by assuming it's true. So he's not worried that they're going to continue, but he's saying, if you continue, and I expect that you will, then you will then be, you will continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting. And so I want us to think about that description there, uh, continuing in the faith, but stable and steadfast. That's maturity. That's carrying on, not shifting. And this uh, reminds us of that story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter seven about the man who built the house on the shifting sand versus the man that built the house on the rock that was stable and steadfast. And it's a mark of childishness to be constantly changing and shifting and, and not to follow through on things. And so I think verse 23 is a wonderful example or a wonderful description, I should say, about what maturity can look like. It's that continuing on. It's that steadfastness. It's that um, persevering in the faith and not being shifty or unstable or kind of moving on from fad to fad or the latest gimmick or the newest teaching or things like that. Uh, We know, as I've said in weeks past, that Ephesians is kind of a a similar letter to Colossians written around the same time. And and Paul in his letter to Ephesians kind of brings out the same idea of maturity. And I want to read to you from chapter four of Ephesians, beginning in verse 12. 
uh, says this, that he's given shepherds and teachers, pastors and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay. God gives gifted people, pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and get this, to mature manhood or to mature womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now that's really similar language to Colossians that we saw last week that, that Christ is the head. And here Paul again says, we want to press on, we want to be equipped to mature manhood and then attain the fullness. You see that word uh, in verse 13, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And it's interesting that Paul uses that word here in Ephesians and, and we're going to see it in Colossians here in just a minute. But that uh, fullness word is the Greek word pleroma. Pleroma means the fullness. And Paul is using a word that uh, scholars believe these false teachers are using. Like, if you really want the Pleroma, if you want the fullness of spirituality, you need to join us over here in this new group, this select group, this secretive group. And Paul is telling us here, no, you have the fullness of Christ. You have the fullness of deity in Jesus. And you don't need to go to something else. You just need to push into the fullness of Jesus, what you already have. So this word fullness, uh, that's the second thing. Paul's desire for the church is not only maturity, but also fullness, or you might say richness. Okay, let me uh, read to you some places in Colossians uh, beginning. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, you'll, and notice the repetition of these words, riches and fullness and treasures. Okay, verse 27, he says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery riches. And uh, chapter 2, verse 2, he says, all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge. There again, you see the repetition of riches and full assurance. He says, I, I don't want you to move on to anything else. I want you to have the full assurance of what you already have in Jesus. And then again, in the next verse, verse 3 of chapter 2, it says, Christ, Christ is the mystery. Christ in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, if you uh, if you could just kind of put this in maybe like a fiscal uh, financial illustration, if 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 you knew someone that had had been imprisoned or was a slave or something, and all of a sudden they were released from prison, and not only were they released from prison, but they were given uh, the the winnings of a lottery. All of a sudden they were rich. You know, they might have been in prison or been a slave all their life and not know, not understand the richness or the treasure that was just given to them. And you would you would tell that person, look, you don't you got everything you need. You've got it made. And that's what Paul is telling this church here. You don't need to go anywhere else. You have the richness. You have the treasures. You have the awesome hope 
of Jesus Christ. So stay with it, stick with it, mature in him. He wants this church to be mature and to know the fullness and the richness of what they have in Jesus. So that's Paul's desire for the church. Let's move on now and see Paul's ministry to the church, Paul's ministry to the church. And, and what we see here is really uh, that Paul kind of has three aspects to his ministry. We see that Paul's ministry to the church is that he's a servant, he's a teacher, and he's a sacrifice, okay? A servant, a teacher, and a sacrifice. And I want to walk through those uh, with us here. Uh, first of all, we see that Paul's ministry to the church was that he was a servant. And we see that in the very, uh, uh, in verse 23, he says, uh, I don't want you to shift from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And then he goes on and says, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now that word minister is the same word that we would use for servant. Paul's saying, I'm a minister. And what's interesting is that uh, though Paul is an apostle, he doesn't assert his authority or his apostleship here as he talks to them. Now, he, he called himself an apostle back in verse 1 of the whole letter. But here he says, I, I'm, a, I'm a minister to you. I'm, I'm a servant to you. And not only does he say, I, I'm a minister of the gospel, but he goes on in verse 25. He uses this word minister again. Uh, verse 25 says, um, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Now, look at that minister again, servant. Um, here's the deal. Uh, whether you're a pastor or whether you're an elder or whether you're a deacon or whether you are a, a member of a church, all of us are ministers. Paul's saying, I'm not excluded from that. I'm a servant of the church too. Yeah, I'm an apostle, but ultimately uh, I'm a servant. And those wonderful words of Jesus, uh, where he commends us, hopefully, as we enter heaven's gates, he says, uh, good job, well done, good and faithful what? Good and faithful servant. Not good and faithful pastor, not good and faithful apostle, not good and faithful deacon or whatever it is. He says, good and faithful servant. Because ultimately, whatever our position in the church, ultimately we're all servants of Jesus, the master who actually came and served us. So Paul's ministry to the church is, first of all, that he's a servant and he says in verse 25 there, but he says, I'm a servant because of the stewardship from God. I'm a servant because God has called me. But it says, I'm a, I'm a servant from the stewardship from God that was given to me. But look at those next two words, for you. I serve the gospel. I serve the church. But he also says, I serve you. And then his particular service, and that's where we move into this idea of Paul as a teacher. His particular service there is at the end of verse 25, where he says he's a teacher. He says, stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul's role as an apostle was to make the word of God fully known, to expound upon Jesus and to expound upon 
the mysteries of the gospel, as he goes on here, he talks about mystery three times. He says, my role as a servant is to teach you to make the word of God fully known. So that, and I think this fully known has the idea of both breadth, that I want the word of God to go further, but I also want the word of God to go deeper into you. I want the word of God to be fully known among you. Uh, he goes on uh, from verse 25 uh, to talk more about how he's unfolding this mystery of the gospel, this mystery that God has called him to expound. Three times he uses that word mystery. Uh, mystery and mystery here is not uh, like uh, oh something secretive or, or something mysterious like we can't figure it out. But mystery here in this context is simply something that previously wasn't known. It wasn't known to the Old Testament people. It wasn't known uh, that that Jesus explicitly was going to come in the flesh as Messiah. It wasn't explicitly known that God was going to incorporate the Gentile people into this new thing called the church. So uh, he, again, he uses this word mystery in verse 26. He says, uh, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, to his saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. There's that word again, this mystery, which is, in, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I want us to camp out right there for a second about this use of mystery here in verse uh, 27. Because he says that this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there's really, it's, there's two realities here that I think Paul wants these uh, believers in Colossae and you and I to know is that we have um, this wonderful revelation of Christ in us and also the hope of glory. And they're two similar but distinct things. So if you read Paul much at all, you'll quickly um, come to see that one of Paul's major themes is this idea of our union with Jesus. And more often than this language here, instead of Christ in you, the most frequent language that Paul uses is we are in Christ. We are in Christ over and over throughout this letter and all throughout the New Testament Paul makes this emphasis of we are in Christ. We've been baptized into Christ. But here in verse 27, it's not in Christ, it's Christ in you. And he's saying this because he wants them and he wants us to know we have this presence and power of Jesus residing, dwelling within us. We find out through other scriptures that it's the spirit of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's Christ's presence within us. So he's telling the Colossians, look, you have the Holy Spirit. You have Christ in you. You have a new power. You have a new relationship. Your sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit resides in you. And he strengthens you as we saw earlier in chapter one. So he's telling them, you don't need to go looking for the next thing or looking for some other teaching or trying to attain some new spiritual revelation because look what you have. Look at the treasure you have. You have Christ in you. That's a present reality. 
But he pairs that with the next phrase that says, the hope of glory. And, and we know, don't we, that, that hope is a future thing primarily. So look what Paul's doing here. He's saying you have this present thing, Christ in you, but you also have this future thing, the hope of glory. And hope is only hope because we don't have it yet, right? If we have our hope in something, we're anticipating something. And so catch this distinction here that, that Paul is making for these believers and for you and me. We have Christ in us, but we don't yet have glory. We have the hope of glory. And so what Paul is letting us know is that we have a reality, is this new presence and power of Jesus within us. But guess what? We don't have the full salvation yet. We don't yet have glory. So you know what that means? That, mean, that means that you and I are, are both satisfied in Christ as well as still awaiting full satisfaction in Christ. And we need to know that as believers. Life doesn't always go the way we want. We're not in glory. We haven't yet attained the full salvation that Jesus has promised, but we have this down payment. That's the way Paul uses it in other places, that we have the Spirit is the down payment of this eternal home we have. And, and, and you know that if you put a down payment on a house, you know you, you, you've got the earnest money, so to speak, and, and God has given us the down payment in the Holy Spirit, but we are not yet home. We are awaiting full ownership, full possession of that eternal home. And so that's why Paul emphasizes, you have this mystery, you have this unfolding revelation that is Christ in you, and yet you still await the presence of Christ in glory and your full salvation. Hope is something here that we have and something that we don't yet have. So again, Paul's desire as a teacher is to make the word of God fully known and to have us grab hold of this mystery, this new revelation of the Gentiles incorporated into the church and, and Christ, the God in flesh that has come to us and, and, and now is in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope of glory. But then he goes on to talk about his ministry as a teacher because in verse 28, one of my favorite uh, verses says, Him we proclaim. Who's Him? Jesus. Jesus we proclaim. Him we proclaim. And again, this repetition of everyone, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. How does that maturity happen? That maturity happens. And one of the, the main keystones, the, the main foundations of our maturity, of our growing up in Jesus, is this constant proclamation of Jesus. The reason we come together and worship consistently and all the time is to be reminded of, of this mystery, to be reminded of this revelation of Jesus. So every week, you and I, even though we already know Christ, we need to proclaim him to our hearts because we're prone to wonder. And our maturity comes in large part as we hear the word of God, as we hear this good news of Jesus proclaimed over and over again. 
to warm our hearts and to keep us on track of the truth rather than grabbing for the latest and the greatest and the newest and all this extra uh, other teachings. That's why biblical teaching is at the foundation and a first priority for us, and it always has been, at Centennial Church, because we know that we cannot center lives on Jesus Christ apart from biblical teaching, apart from the consistent, constant proclamation of Jesus. And you know, uh, as I know well, is when you are not hearing the Word of God preached, when you are not preaching the gospel to yourself daily, um, we grow cold and we drift away. And so Paul says his, his job is to proclaim Jesus. And our job is to proclaim Jesus that we all, everyone, might grow in maturity. That proclamation you see here has two aspects, warning and teaching. As both a negative as well as a positive, one version says instructing and teaching. But it's, it's warning Warning against the false teachers, warnings against uh, new ideas that we'll see next week, and then teaching, instructing people positively of who Jesus is. So we've seen that Paul's ministry to the church is as a servant, as a teacher. And finally, I want you to see that Paul's ministry to the church is a sacrifice, a sacrifice. We see that. Uh, in verse 24, if you go back, he says, I'm a minister in verse 23. And then he's a minister. He's a servant who suffers. Verse 24 says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Notice the progression here. I'm a servant and I'm a servant who suffers. Now, this is, uh, this is a bit ironic as you think about Paul's life because here's a guy that in his life before Christ was the biggest persecutor of the church. He was bringing suffering to the believers. And in his story, in his conversion story in Acts chapter 9, if you uh, go there and look at it again, in Acts chapter 9, as he's converted, uh, two things about suffering are brought to light to who was then Saul to become Paul. And he's told in that, uh, in that conversion experience, the road to Damascus, which is the word I was trying to think of there, as he's walking on the road to Damascus, uh, Jesus reveals to him that he was persecuting not the church, but he was persecuting Jesus. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Or like, well, wait, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church. But according to Jesus, to persecute the church, to persecute his body, is to persecute him. And secondly, not only was Paul, you know, warned there by Jesus that he was persecuting the very person of, of Christ. But he says, he furthermore says, I will show Paul, I will show Saul Paul how much he must suffer for my sake. That's kind of his calling identity there in Acts 9. Go tell Paul 
how much he must suffer for my sake. Being a child of God, being a servant of God, uh, doesn't exempt us from the suffering and the brokenness of this world. In fact, it guarantees it. Pressing on in verse, uh, from verse 24 in verse 29, he describes it again, this time as toil and struggling. Verse 29 says, he's, 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 or verse 28, he's, he's pressing on, he's, he's proclaiming the word, helping make people mature. And then verse 29 says, for this, for this proclamation and this struggle to make everyone mature, he says, for this, I toil. It's hard work. It's, it's labor. It's struggle but it's struggling with his energy, the energy of God, the, ener the Christ energy that he powerfully works within me. Chapter two, verse one, for I want you to know how great a struggle. There it is again. And the Greek word there is, is the word from where we get agony. He's agonizing. He's struggling to minister to these folks. I want you to know how great a struggle and agony I have for you and for those who are at Laodicea for all that have not seen me face to face. So I want your hearts, I want you to be knit together in love and I want you to know the fullness of Jesus. But that ministry for Paul and for us involves suffering and struggling and toil. So here's what I want to ask us uh, today. You know, all of us struggle, all of us toil, all of us will suffer. But let me ask you this. Are you toiling on behalf of Jesus? Are you agonizing on behalf of helping your kids mature, of helping the gospel be known, of helping the gospel go to the ends of the earth? Are you agonizing? Are you toiling? Are you struggling? Are you suffering? Not because of COVID-19, because you're a servant of Christ and being a servant of Christ involves struggling and suffering. Are you suffering? Are you agonizing in labor for the gospel of Jesus? Because if we are, we're guaranteed that it'll be hard, that there'll be toil. So to summarize again, Paul's desire for the church, maturity and fullness and Christ's ministry, or excuse me, Paul's ministry to the church, a servant, a teacher, and a sacrifice, a sufferer on behalf of the gospel. So to bring this home by application um, today, let me just ask you, how's your maturity and your growth in Christ? How's your consistency and getting the word of God, the proclamation of God's word into your heart and into your mind. It's an indispensable quality of Christian maturity to be saturated in the word of God over and over. Him we proclaim so that everyone, all parts of the body might be mature. How is your maturity and growth and particularly as it relates to being under and in the word of Jesus. Are you more mature today than you were a year ago? Are you in the scriptures more today than you were a year ago? Secondly, I want to ask this, uh, how can you, how can you and I serve, teach, and sacrifice? How can you and I 
serve the church, serve this body, Centennial Church, as we reopen. Uh, hopefully in weeks to come, there's going to be new places and new needs for service. There's always needs for service around here. And man, if you haven't found a team or you don't have a ministry, a place of service that's for you, man, let us know. Info at centennialchurch.com. Come up to me. Uh, Find Garrett. Uh, Let us know how you would like to serve, uh, how God has gifted you to serve, and how might you teach. And not everyone has the gift of teaching, but I think all of us are called to make disciples. Um, How can you teach, even if it's your children, Uh, or children in our church here. How can you teach? And thirdly, how can you sacrifice? What sacrifices or toil might God be calling you to make in order to further the gospel? Not to further your career, not to further your income, but to further this mystery, this word of Christ. So... Thanks for watching this. I would just ask you to pray with me here in closing. Father God, we just just come before you and we thank you for the work of those 12 apostles and the way you use these ordinary, normal people to spread your word around the world and eventually uh, get it all the way here by servants so that we could hear it and that we could be brought into your family. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen each of us and convict each of us where we fit in this ministry and this service of your church and your kingdom. Lord, that we would sacrifice ourselves, sacrifice our time, sacrifice our money, lay it at your feet, lay ourselves at the altar of Jesus to be a part of what you're doing here and around the world. Lord, we pray that you might grow us up into maturity. We ask it all in the name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit. Amen.